Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and our King. It is a wonderful blessing to be in the house of the Lord today. If it's, is it a little chilly in here, guys? Maybe we need to turn the heat up a little bit. I don't know. Uh, but um, I'm very, very happy to see the leaves changing and uh, the smells of fall. Doesn't it smell wonderful outside? Some people love that smell. Some people don't. But I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord today. Psalm 114 uh, is going to be where the message comes from today, but our call to worship comes from Psalm 104. And Psalm 104 is a very long psalm, so I'm going to pick excerpts from it and read it today as our call to worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who covers thyself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walks upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains and they were, at thy rebuke they fled and at the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys unto the place where thou hast founded them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. He sendeth the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. Wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chamber. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is the great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. They there go the ships, there is that Leviathan which whom thou hast made to play therein. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever and the Lord shall rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet and I will be glad in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. And let's say that together. Praise ye the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for calling your people together. Lord, we are gathered in your name and you say in your word that where we gather two or three, you are there in the midst of us, Lord. Today we gather in your name and we call upon you, asking you, Lord, to speak to our hearts, to change us by your spirit, to draw us nearer to you and nearer to one another. Help us, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, to submit to your will in every area of our life that you indeed may be Lord in our lives. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
remain standing for just a bit. I'm going to read my text from Psalm 114. My message today is waters withdraw, mountains move. I'm going to read all of Psalm 114. It's very short, actually. Eight verses. Psalm 114, beginning in verse 1. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language. Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. What ailed thee, O thou sea, thou that fleddest, thou Jordan that was driven back? Ye mountains that skip like rams, and ye little hills like lambs. Tremble thou the earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us an active and living word. For the letter kills, but the Spirit giveth life. I pray, Lord, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your word would go forth and it would accomplish that which you have intended for it to accomplish. In Christ's name, we pray. And all God's people said, you may be seated. On the northern tip of the Black Sea in the pre-dawn hour Saturday morning, you may have heard how an incredible explosion rocked the Creech Strait Bridge connecting Russia to Crimea. This 12-mile, nearly $3 billion bridge that had just been built in 2018 by Vladimir Putin through... Uh, his military might after taking the Crimea away from the Ukraine. Putin had just had a birthday on Friday and the Ukrainians sent him a note as the bridge exploded saying, happy birthday. Nothing like timing, right? The truck exploded crossing the bridge and two fuel trains were crossing the bridge bringing a fiery and catastrophic explosion that could be heard and seen from many miles away. The bridge is the main artery of supply for the Russians in their further invasion of Ukraine. Now, Ukraine is a small and insignificant country in the world in some ways. In the scheme of the nations of the world, they knew, though, that if they could take out this one little bridge, it might stop the Russians with a wall of water called the Black Sea. You see, even though we live in 2022 with all of our advancements, the Black Sea is still a barrier even to Russia and that Russia cannot ignore and just overcome on a whim. Water is a powerful thing. Everybody say that with me. Water is a powerful thing. In fact, water is the most powerful natural force on planet Earth. As Hurricane Ian slammed twice into the United States last week, first from the Gulf Coast, crossing over the mainland as a tropical storm, and then went out into the Atlantic, built up again hurricane force winds, 
and went back into the coast of the United States, the eastern coast, we saw the great power of wind. But it is the water that the hurricane drives that surge. It's the water that pours down from the heavens that come from the exploding cumulus clouds that sin rushing across the land. It's the water that brings the incalculable devastation. Water, which is essential to all of life here on earth, without which a man will die in just three days, is also the lifeblood for all the trees and plants that covers two-thirds of the earth. Water covers two-thirds of the earth. Water, water, everywhere, to quote, Samuel Taylor Coolridge's The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. When the children of Israel left Egypt, it was water that arrested their progress. As they were trying to leave, they felt trapped into what seemed like a hopeless escape from their oppressors. In fact, what I thought was interesting about water, which seems like it's really no big deal until water wants to be a big deal, because it says when they went out into the wilderness, they felt trapped in by the land. It doesn't say, oh, there was a sea. In fact, they would looked at the sea, but they never even imagined that anybody could do anything about the sea. And it says, the land has trapped us in. Pharaoh and his army said, we're not in a real big hurry to chase these guys. The land will trap them in. They never even thought about the sea. But the sea is what really had trapped in the children of Israel. And we know what happens with that. It was 40 years later when only Joshua and Caleb still remained of that band of men who spied out the promised land. 40 years after that, they came to a turbulent Jordan River looking over at Jericho's proud walls. This river at this specific time of the year widens exponentially and deepens proportionately rushing down in the spring some 610 feet from the Sea of Galilee into a rushing whitewater torrent. This whitewater torrent stood defiant to the host of God's people, but this time they were not complaining. They were not living in fear of dying as they had when they had left Egypt. This time they were not worried what was going to happen this time. Instead of looking at it with fear and waiting for Moses to lift out his staff, they stepped into the water and the water ran from them. Everybody say, the water ran from them. In both of these critical days of Israel's history, water stood between them and God's promises. And today I want to ask all of us, what is standing between you and what God has promised you? And what can you do about it? Some of the things that have stood between us and God, there's not a thing we can do about it. But thanks be to God, we have a Savior who can do everything about it. Amen? But there are other things and other times in our life where we come to a place and there's, there are things that we can do about it. Through the waters of tribulation, God leads His people as He brings them out of slavery and sin and fear. But that's not all. By faith, He leads them to lives of faith where they shrink not back, but they step out in faith to take their promised land. We talk about this a lot in our church. God is just not saving us from something. He's saving us, what? 
for something. He didn't just save us from sin and death and judgment and hell and the slavery of sin. God saved us for a promise, a promised land for his people. He saved us so that we can be a part of saving the world. Can I hear a thanks be to God? Psalm 114 is the second psalm of the Halil, the Jewish praise from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 that the Jewish people get together and they have learned to quote and to chant at every one of these solemn and holy occasions. At all of their pilgrimages, they get together and they begin with praise ye the Lord from Psalm 113 and they quote Psalm 113, 114, 115, 116 and we are now in the second song of the Halil or the praise that Israel chanted and sang at their major feasts. It reminds us all of who we are now, that we as the people of God are now Israel. We have a promised land as well. He hasn't just saved us and drowned our enemies in the sea of forgetfulness. He has washed us in the waters of baptism and we ride forth conquering with him as we step across our own Jordan with the power of the gospel. We will see in front of us what the Israelites saw after they crossed the Jordan when the walls fall flat, when we blow our trumpets of praise and the enemies that have come against us flee before us as the waters of the Red Sea and the waters of the Jordan fled from God, the God of nature, of the new creation who fills the earth with his own glory. Psalm 114 reminds us that we win before we win. And we will keep on winning until we possess every square inch of earth, not just what Abraham's feet walked on. Abraham's promise is our promise. He who was before Abraham, the great I am, has a greater promise for his people. Once the world was destroyed by water, it was the obstacle to the promises of God, but now it is saving the world as men and women are washed in the waters of baptism through the power of the Holy Spirit. Water, water everywhere, covering the earth with the glory and knowledge of the Lord even more than the waters cover the sea. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You know, uh, we have water. You know, I have water in this cup right here. We have water we're washing dishes with. We have water we cool off in when it's hot outside. But do we think of water like this, like this psalm is calling us to think? Do we ever look at the water and go, oh, Lord, it's this water. It's this water, Lord, that you're using to save us. And of course, you know, I don't mean that water saves us, right? I mean that this is what God has used over and over again. God has not merely saved us from something, he saved us for something grand, the saving of the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, and his son so loved the world that he sent you and me to water the earth and to heal the nations. We get to be that river of life. If you remember, what did Jesus say on the last and great day of the feast? He said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, right? For, what does he say? He that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow, what? Rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Holy Spirit, 
which had not yet been given, but today it has been given. Today we have the Holy Spirit. And as Paul told the Corinthians, one plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. It is not of he that planteth. It is not of he that watereth. It's not you and it's not me. But God uses us as a conduit of this healing water. Amen? And that's what we are sent to do. As we go to look at Psalm 114, verse by verse, we look to see if there is an inspired heading, but there is not. It does not tell us what the author, who the author was. But as I said previously, this is part of the great praise. This is chanted and sung on these special occasions, and we continue to see praise is due to the King of glory. Can we say praise ye the Lord? Yes, verse 1 begins, one of the commentators pointed out that it does not begin with praise ye the Lord because oftentimes uh, many people believe that the title of each psalm was actually the last words of the last psalm. So when they don't have an inspired heading, oftentimes you can go to the last words of the psalm before and the psalm ends with praise the Lord. Verse 1 begins, when Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a strange, a people of a strange language. Seeing the psalm in the context of the total halil, the fact that God is not mentioned at the beginning, but is now assumed, we see that in verse 1, the great and constant memory of the memorable works that God has done that cannot be forgotten by his children or the heathen alike. We talked about this before. It's a funny thing in a world that's filled with entertainment, video games, and distraction. But everybody knows if you mention Moses in the parting of the Red Sea, what person on earth, even if they don't know God, doesn't know that story? They all know that story, right? Which ones don't know about Noah and the flood that came that destroyed the earth? They all know about that. Which ones don't know about David killing Goliath? God's works are memorable. How many movies have you seen in your life? How many actors and how much entertainment or football games have you ever watched? And you can't even remember what the score was on the game yesterday. But somehow God has performed works and put them in his word in such a way that they are written on our minds and on our hearts and on the history and on the ethos of our culture. Everyone knows how God brought out a people for his name from Egypt. Everybody knows the world-stopping power and miraculous events of these times, and we do well to remember them ourselves. The God that did this for the sons of Jacob and for those that were preserved through Joseph's slavery and imprisonment are those that God is still using today to save the world. They are our people more than any DNS shows that we are a people from whatever nation. I don't know if you've ever gotten your ancestry done, but I can save you a little bit of time. You can have your ancestry done and they can tell you like they did Val, that he might be from Nigeria. You can have mine done and they can say, well, you might be from Scotland. But I'll tell you what, if you want to know who your people are, open up the Bible and hear the stories of our patriarchs and know those are our people. We are the people that crossed the Red Sea. We are the people that the Jordan ran from. Amen? And we are the people of God that is going out into the world to conquer the world, riding forth with Jesus who will tread down all of his enemies in the winepress of his wrath. Amen? The God that did this for the sons of Jacob and those that were preserved through his slavery, they are our people. 
We are the new creatures, the sons of the second Adam. We are the helpmeet to our husband, the king, and his kingdom shall have no end. We too were strangers in a strange land of sin, but God brought us out with a mighty hand. We too have been brought out from Egypt. Everyone that's sitting here was brought out from the slavery and helplessness of sin. Verse 2 says, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. Here as these, uh, as Judah, a specific one of the, the 12 tribes of Israel is mentioned, it is meant to represent the whole of all of Israel. Judah was the largest tract of land and the largest population and it was the tribe where the kings of Israel came from. It is where David came from and where the king of glory whose kingdom shall have no end, Jesus Christ came from as well. In the, Judah is where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt among the people of Judah. It was the center of the kingdom and where all future kings would come. Out of Israel as a whole, we came forth and we came forth from Judah as well. Calvin put it this way in his commentary on Psalm 114. He said this, Judah is called his holiness and Israel his dominion because his holy majesty, which hitherto had been little known, was secured the veneration of all who had witnessed the display of his incredible power at the Red Sea and at the Jordan. In delivering his people, God erected a kingdom for himself and procured respect for his sacred name. If then they be not constantly reflect upon such a remarkable instance of his kindness, their insensibility is totally inexcusable. The Bible said there was a time when God winked at the ignorance of men, but that time is over and now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Verse 3 tells us what happens when the sea saw God. You know, people talk about pride, and I don't understand what the big problem is with pride. Pride among Christian people. I don't know what you have to be proud of. I don't know what you think that you're so strong about. Anyone that has seen God in any form or fashion, if you've seen God at all working in your life, you have nothing to be proud of. You should see that you were powerless, that you were weak, that you could do nothing to save yourself, and it was only the mercy of God that brought you out of the miry clay and put your feet on the rock to stay. A man who has seen God cannot be proud because he sees himself a worm. See how two different events here in verse 3 are tied together. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. The, the Red Sea and the Jordan are being personified as things that are scared of God. Are you scared of God? You might go, well, I'm not scared of God. Well, the Bible says you should be. Our God is a consuming fire and that judgment begins at the house of God and that we better take the opportunity to judge ourselves that we will be not judged of God. The Bible said if he spared not the angels, right? And if he did not spare the children of Israel who he left as carcasses in the wilderness and they did not inherit the promised land, how much more shall he judge a people who he's filled with the Spirit, he's done all of these things for, who do not acknowledge God, who have seen greater things than Moses and Joshua. 
See how these two different events are tied together? They both involve the water that saw and ran in fear from God. Egypt too was too foolish though to run. Egypt saw it. Could you imagine this? This is always the puzzling part of the story for me. That Israel saw God part the water. And they walked into it. If I had seen the God of another nation do something amazing, I could imagine I wouldn't just go ahead and walk into the sea. I would think if God opened it so they could leave, we better just let them leave. Egypt too foolish to run from God, but that doesn't save them. Israel's fools that they were feared Egypt though. There's a picture here that's just an incredible picture. Egypt isn't afraid of God but Israel is afraid of Egypt. Isn't this our plight? We look around and instead of fearing God, we end up fearing everything else first. But God is merciful to us. God turns that around quickly in Egypt and he uses it to prepare his people for another day where they will be facing waters that they cannot cross. To make it into the promised land some 40 years later, they will face a raging Jordan River without a way to cross over where they must go to inhabit a land that flows with milk and honey. These two events joined together here in Psalm 114 show us how God saves us from something and how he saves us for something. I'm going to keep saying that for as long as I have breath in this church. We cannot just be glad that we are not in the sins of Egypt but we should be glad today that we have a promised land to inherit. This is what God is saving us for, and it is our purpose today. Our purpose is not to just live happier lives that are more fulfilled. It is not just so that we don't use drugs. It is not just so that we don't get involved in the foolishness and sin of the world, but it is because we have been called by God to be the warriors that go forth with Him, conquering the world. The first the from we see it at the Red Sea after the ten plagues of Egypt caused Pharaoh to release the children of Israel from the bounds of their slavery. Let's look at it for just a moment and see what God did in Exodus chapter 14. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that when they turn to encamp before Penhath Heroth between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal, Zephron, before it you shall encamp by the sea. God had them camp by the sea on purpose. God knew the sea was there. He told them where to go. The sea was not a surprise for God. It was a setup for his glory. Do you guys remember the man that was blind and they said, why was he blind? Was it because of what he did? Or was it because of what his parents and what did Jesus reply? Neither one. This was done for the glory of God. And so God sent them to the Red Sea to a barrier they couldn't cross on purpose. Because he wanted to put before them the hopelessness of their situation. And it pictures for us the hopelessness of our situation. Our great separation, the great gulf fixed between us and God that we cannot pass over. Pharaoh will say of the children, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon his host. And the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God had a plan all along. It was told to the king of Egypt that the people fled. 
that the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people and they said, why have we done this that we have let Israel go? And he made ready his chariot, he took his people and they took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over everyone and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he pursued after the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with a high hand but the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots and the horsemen and the army overtook them as they camped by the sea. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid. Everybody say they were sore afraid. You're going to see a difference later on as they go and they stand at the Jordan looking at Jericho. Guess what? They're not anymore, Stephen. They're not afraid anymore. You see, once we've seen what God will do in our lives and we realize that we are not dealing with our own power and our own strength, then we start putting confidence in ourselves. Verse 11 said, They said unto Moses, Because we were no, there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us out to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? He then said, Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Talk about a picture here. Here they are, they have no faith. Everybody say they had zero faith. Did faith save them on this day? They had no faith. They had no hope. In fact, they're sorry that they've been delivered from sin. And they're like, you know, we told you before you brought us out, we didn't want to go and that we were okay being slaves. We didn't want to come out here and die in the midst of this situation. They did not have faith. They did not believe that God was going to do anything, but thank God Moses did. They were unable to save themselves. They had no weapons, no chariots. The most powerful army in the world was bearing down on them. This is a picture of our own salvation. We were in the slavery and sin and powerless to save ourselves. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand still and see the salvation of our God. You see, God does the saving, not us. He will show you this day. The Egyptians whom you've seen today, you shall see them no more forever. And the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And I believe what we would have said in today's language is shut your mouth. You know, oftentimes this is one of the great struggles that we have. How many times we are faced in a situation where God calls us to have faith. And you know what we do? We start talking we start saying it's not going to work out and isn't going to be and, and there's going to be a problem and I don't know how it's going to pan out. And don't we do this? We start talking and, you know, we should shut up is what we should do. Hold your peace, he said, and see the salvation of your God. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry unto me? Speak to the children of Israel that they go forward. Lift up your rod, stretch out the hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground in the midst of the sea. It seems that what maybe Moses could have done rather than waiting on God to tell him that and to lift out his staff, he was, Moses could have just said like they do later on at the Jordan, go ahead, go forward, just start walking right into the sea. But they weren't ready for that. Moses wasn't ready for that. And I behold will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will follow after you and I will get honor of Pharaoh upon the host and upon the chariots and the horsemen. Verse 18, and the Egyptians shall know that I 
am the Lord when I have gotten honor upon me. You know, in the end, not only are we going to eventually learn to believe in God and have faith, but the whole world will, even those that do not believe in Christ. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not just some of them, everybody say every knee, every tongue. In here, God was interested. Do you think that Pharaoh that did not believe in the God of Israel was able to maintain his lack of faith as the waters of the Red Sea began to drown him? Or do you think he was in that time calling on God? Israel and the Egyptians will both know who's really got the power. Don't fear if you can't save yourself and you're here today. Our deliverer can do that. The angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind the pillar of the cloud and went from before the face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud of darkness to them, but it gave light to, the, to these in the night so that one came not near the other all night long. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all night. And it made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went in the midst of the sea upon dry ground. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea and all of Pharaoh's horses. Our enemies are bold, but they will meet their maker in the water. Their water, the water itself is not afraid of the Egyptians as it is of our God. He is the most powerful force that exists in all of the universe. Fear not the sea or those who run into it after you. You will live to see their floating bodies. It came to pass that in the morning watch that the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels and they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and the waters will come again upon the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses did that. The waters returned. And guess what happened? Pharaoh and his chariots and all of them died that day. Not so much as one of them survived. It says in verse 28 of Exodus 14. But the children of Israel walked on dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand. And on their left, thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And now here's, here's where you go. You know, the Bible talks about the Egyptians being afraid before the children of Israel were afraid. In verse 31, it finally says that the people feared the Lord and believed. You know, God orchestrated this event not only to teach the heathen to fear God, taught us to fear the Lord. Does it not say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge in, in Proverbs 1-7? Does it not tell us in Proverbs chapter 9 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning also of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction? God makes wise men out of the Egyptians moments before he kills them because they learn finally to fear the Lord. And the children of Israel learn it on the banks of the Red Sea, looking back at the dead bodies of their enemies. The second event that is referred to in this short psalm, in the same verse here, 
is the Jordan River where God shows that he saved them for something. If you want to be excited about your salvation, though, go back and read Exodus chapter 15, where they sing a song about God's salvation. And Miriam adds a song too, but you can do that later this week if you want. The second event that's mentioned here is the Jordan River crossing. Forty years later, after the crossing of the Red Sea, after learning how important it is to fear the Lord and not man, God brought those who had the faith to go to the Jordan River that was right across from Jericho. You may remember the story how they sent the spies in to spy out the land and the spies came back with an evil report and God said, all right, all those who had the evil report are gonna die. And then in the wilderness, all those that murmured against God, they were gonna die and God waited 40 years for all of them to die in the wilderness because they would not believe. But Joshua and Caleb were still alive. This is how Joshua chapter three begins. 40 years after the great miracle, the Red Sea, where they were learning to walk by faith, God had given them the tabernacle. He had given them the Ark of the Covenant. He had, God had showed them how he had the power to conquer their enemies. And now, in the beginning of Joshua chapter 3, they are not like the slaves that came out of Egypt. They are a people who are ready to go, and they are not afraid. They commanded the people, say, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the priests and the Levites bearing it, you shall remove from your place and go after it. Everybody say, go after it. Go after it. I love this. I love that God did not go and have it things stretch across and, and, and then it part and then them wait around. No, when the ark starts moving, go after it. Get after it. And these people, they didn't have any, they didn't have any weapons in their hand. They didn't have swords and they didn't have chariots, but it didn't seem to bother them that day. God had saved them from slavery, but now God was going to use them to save the world. He had given them a promise. In Israel, all the world would be blessed. Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourself for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Everybody say wonders among them. It wasn't just Moses. It was going to be them. God was going to use them. You see, God gave us, of course, Christ, our leader, our savior, as Moses was. Joshua's name, you know, is in the, if it translates the Hebrew for Joshua, is Jesus. And here we have Jesus, right, leading his people into battle. And that is exactly what's happening. As they cross the river, they're going to battle. But this river crossing was very much part of the battle. It was time for their faith to be tried and tested. And in this case, they weren't going to wait. They were going to walk right into the water. And that's exactly what they do. Take up the ark, pass before the people. And they did. And they went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to magnify you in the sight of Israel that they may know that I was with Moses and I'll be with you. God was with Moses and Joshua and so God will be with you too. As he sends us forth to conquer the world, even as Jesus said, his kingdom has come and his earth come to earth from heaven. When you come to the brink of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. On this day, they were not fearful and neither should we be. They were no longer slaves, but they were filled with the spirit of conquest given to them by God. As Joshua said to the children of Israel, come hither, hear the words of the Lord. Joshua said, hereby shall you know that the living God is among you. Sometimes we need to be reminded 
that we're not just going around doing what we're doing, but that we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The devil cannot defeat you. The devil cannot pull you out of his hand. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God and what God has said that he's going to do in the world. He's going to do in the world and he's going to do it through you. Behold the ark of the covenant. Well, here's what he, he names all these people. He said, I, I want to show you that the living God is with you and he without fail will drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passes over before you into the Jordan River. Now therefore take you 12 men out of the tribes of Israel, every man a tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord of all of the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. You see, the waters, I told you before, came from above, from higher elevation, from the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River runs 60 miles south to Jericho, and during that 60 miles, it descends 610 feet, and that water is gaining steam like a locomotive. And God said, I'm going to cut this river and it's, I'm going to stop it in its tracks and it's going to pile up in a big heap. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents and passed over the Jordan, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant. As they bear the Ark, they were come to the Jordan River and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water. And it adds this right here. For the Jordan overflows all of his banks at the time of harvest. I did a lot of research on this, and this was interesting, and uh, it'll just turn into a paragraph for you, but for me, it was hours of fun and enjoyment. The average width of the Jordan River is about 90 feet, with an average depth of about 10 feet, but not that time of year. This was God's perfect plan to build the faith in the hearts of his people and fear in the hearts of his enemy. The river, as it says, in the time of the harvest, and if you find out later, it is the barley harvest. It is a very specific time of year. It comes to flood stage. The, it begins to overrun its banks. And if you've been there, which we have, my sons and I went to Israel, and the Jordan River has carved a big, giant, U-shaped canyon, basically from all the way from Galilee, all the way down to Jericho, this giant U-shaped canyon, and usually right in the bottom of that is where this river is going, and it's, it has cut the earth down, but it's this, this canyon is hundreds of feet high, and what God is going to do, and what's amazing that God is going to do, he's going to stop the water, and it's going to fill these canyons, and it's going to make a giant lake all across the land that's going to last for days, and all the region's going to see it. During this time of year, the river, uh, and you can go there now and you can see it in this time of year, the river swells from about 90 feet wide to over a half mile wide. And it's rushing at, uh, at a rate that a, they, they've taken professional swimmers there and none of them can even attempt to cross this river at this time of year. The swift and powerful water rushed dangerously through these deep, narrow canyons of Judea this was a greater miracle than they had seen 40 years earlier when God had parted the Red Sea. 
The Red Sea is calm. Obviously, it is not a river. It is not flowing. Maybe, you know, obviously in a storm, it's going to get a few waves up. But a raging river in flood stage, I don't know if you've ever seen one or been in one. If you've ever been whitewater rafting, uh, which I have, it's a terrifying thing. You don't just jump out and swim across that. They were going to need great faith to do what God had saved them for, and so will you. When Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem, he told them and those that followed him that they would be endued with power from on high. This would be the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power of the Spirit that fills all of you to conquer the new promised land. We must, with the great power given unto us by our great King, go out into the world preaching the gospel and making disciples of all the nations. We must bring them to the waters of the Jordan, the waters of baptism, as they join us in the quest to save the new world. I'll stop right here to tell you, you may have never heard this and you might not know it, but do you know what also happened at this very spot on the Jordan? This is where Jesus came to be baptized of John the Baptist. Jesus picturing Joshua at the water. Jesus, who was the savior and the leader of a nation, went down to the Jordan River. And it's very interesting. History tells us that John the Baptist was baptizing on the east bank of the river. If you know the geography, Jerusalem is to the west. So they had to go and they had to cross over the Jordan to get on the other side. That's where John the Baptist preached. And I, what I discovered was so incredible. On the hill above this area is where the prophet Elijah had come. And Elisha was following after him. And he's saying, I'm going to die. And he's saying, uh, uh, I want to be there and I want a double portion of the Spirit. And it was on a hill above the area where they crossed here that Elijah had uh, gone up in a great chariot of fire and the Spirit had come down on Elisha. That's why John the Baptist was preaching out there in the wilderness. He was coming with the Spirit of who? The Spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. This is amazing geography, right? Sorry for the geography lesson, but isn't this incredible? Here they are at the same place that Jesus would later be baptized and Jesus is coming. Uh, Joshua is coming right there. He is picturing, he is foreshadowing the march of Christ as the march of Christ uh, is not just for uh, Israel, it's for the whole earth. The waters which came down from above rose up on a heap very far from the city of Adam that is beside Zetaron. And they that came toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off and the people passed over against Jericho. As the people touched their feet to the water, the water was in a giant heap. The priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. All the Israelites passed over until the people were all clean over Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant were come up out of the Jordan, the soles of the priests' feet were lifted under the dry land and the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and flowed over all the banks that they had before. There was no turning back now. Imagine this. You've heard of this, the, the burning, of the, the, burning of, the, uh, of the ships, right? The, the, the conquistadors in South America, you know, they burned their ships to say, we want to take the land. Here God uh, opens a pass for them to go into the promised land. And what does he do behind them? 
he closes it. So here they are. Now they're hemmed in with their backs to a flooding river they cannot cross. And they are now facing their enemy in front of him. You see, on the other side, God was separating them from their enemies. On this side, God was hemming them off with their enemies. I love this picture. You see, God has put us in the world and there is no retreat from what he is calling us to do. A flooded, thundering river raged behind them. The high-walled city of Jericho was before them. God had a plan for these walls too. The mountain of a city would not stand against God's people. And I'll get to that in just a second. As we come to verse 4, it says, The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. Now, you know, as I read the account of the crossing of the Red Sea and I read the account of the crossing of the Jordan, you know what is not found in either of these accounts anywhere in Scripture? There is nothing about any mountain. There is nothing about any quaking. There is nothing about anything like that in the story at all. And so I wondered, what is this about? Is he referring back to the Mount Sinai, which they experienced in the desert? What's he talking about here? And I'll tell you, I came up with something that is, I think, uh, very, very plausible and very, very possible. Uh, and so consider it today. You might wonder how in the world. Now, you know, God uses natural means oftentimes to accomplish his supernatural will. And over the past 1,000 years, they have documented something happening nine different times to the Jordan River. They've seen it happen. And it could be exactly what happened that day. If you know about that part of the world, that part of the world is like another planet. It is like all rock. It is no vegetation. It is desert that is beyond belief. It is terrifying even to be there. It's so hot and so stark. It is like one big giant piece of burning rock in the sun. And the Bible tells us that, that uh, something happened there that day while the river was in flood stage where it stopped. And it piled up in a giant heap all the way to the city of Adam, which is north of there, about 20 miles into a giant lake. So you can only imagine the amount of water that we're talking about. But this has happened over nine documented times since that time that they are aware of. You see, there's great seismic activity, great earthquakes. And with those earthquakes are landslides. And what we have is a literal moving of a mountain where when these mountains oftentimes will shake sister joy and when the mountain shakes a whole mountain will fall into the canyon and it will fill the entire canyon of the jordan river and it will create not a flash flood but a flash dam and as the whole mountain falls into and blocks the canyon of the Jordan, a lake pulls up. And they say sometimes it lasts 24 hours, sometimes 48 hours, depending upon the power of the flow of the river. And I love this because it plays nicely into what happens in the next part of the story. You see, with earthquakes comes aftershocks. And with earthquakes comes pre-shocks. I don't know which one was the big one. I don't know if it was the one that caused the mountain to fall into the canyon of the Jordan, or I don't know if it's the one that caused Jericho's walls to fall flat. But if you remember, as they walked around little peaceful Jericho, where you could race chariots on top of the walls, they walked around and they fell 
they fell flat. Something shook the ground and caused them to fall flat. I believe that's what verse 4 is referring to. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like the lambs. And I love the sarcasm. And you might go, I don't know if it's in here. Oh, it is. The psalmist is trash talking the power of nature. What ailed thee, O thou sea, that you fled? You got scared when you saw God and you took running. What are you scared of? O thou sea, you fled. O Jordan, that you were driven back. The psalmist mocks the powerful Red Sea and the Jordan River not to belittle it, but to show the grandeur of its maker. Verse 6, you mountains that skipped ripe rams, you little hills who ran like, like lambs. He's making fun of them. I mean, you know, when, we, when you hear an earthquake and you see a mountain sliding, you better run for your life. Or you, well, you probably can't even run. If you can see it, you're probably dead. Verse 7, tremble thou the earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. It seems possible as I said, that the same earthquake that rocked that region was responsible for the destruction of Jericho, whose walls fell flat when something happened. Everybody say, all creation trembles at his feet. Verse 8, it says, he turned the rock into a standing water and the flint into a fountain of water. And this is a further picture of what happened. It was amazing that this whole area that is made of granite, this whole area that is just rock and desolation and desert. What, what does God do? God turns it into a gigantic lake and a swimming pool. And he soaks the granite. He soaks the rock. And what happened is that the people of the region all saw it. Right? What, what did they see? They saw God moving. And so it struck fear in the hearts of God's enemies from that day forward, everybody heard it. Everybody saw it. Everybody saw that Jericho's walls fell flat. Everybody saw that God stopped the river and there was a lake that filled the whole land. They saw it all. And the people's hearts were in sheer terror of God. The waters of Jordan became a lake, gushing spring. The whole region during that event would have been something for everyone there to witness and would not have been forgotten soon thereafter. This too was done after the crossing of the Red Sea and the Jordan. It's a whole other thing where God takes water and he brings it from the rock. This is what sustains us, the well of salvation, the river of life, promise that would flow from every believer. It is flowing from you and I today. God has called you out of slavery and sin, saving you from God's wrath and judgment and all the death that comes from sin into the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And so today I invite you to go forth and take the land that God has given us. I am convinced that we are going to find people who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. People who have been in the slavery of sin and we are going to lead them out. We're going to bring them to the saving waters of God. Amen. Don't you want to do that? How many of you want to disciple people at your table and you want to see them leave, leave? You know, they're not just going, they, they will leave, they'll leave poverty, they'll leave disease, they'll leave abuse, they'll leave all of that, but that's not the greatest thing. They will join us 
in the work that God is calling us to do. It'll be wonderful to see the cycle of pain and hurt broken, but the most wonderful thing will be to see the new life begin. Amen? I'm just going to read it for you one time, this time from the Amplified. I love this rendition of it. It's only eight verses, and then we will close, and we will pray. Isn't Psalm 114 exciting? When Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. The Red Sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains leaped like rams and little hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains that you leap like rams and little hills like rams, like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of water. Amen. God is turning the world that is a desert of death and he's turning it into a great garden. God is restoring the garden of Eden with a new Adam and a new Eve. The Bible says Christ is the second Adam. And of course, we, the bride of Christ, are his Eve. Maybe it was no mistake that the waters pulled up all the way to the city of Adam to remind us of the second Adam who leads us forth into battle. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Psalm 114. We praise you for your power over all things. Today we are reminded that there was a day when we were fearful, when we were in slavery and you brought us out. But we're thankful that you're bringing us in, that you're leading us, Lord, to help be the deliverers, to help be those that come from the watery pool, the pool of life, the waters of life, and we come forth conquering with you leading us. And we know that your promises are yea and amen. And that you will bring all of your enemies and you will sub, they will all submit to you. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us.